Hey everybody, I'm Coots. And I'm Conan. I'm with my partner in crime, Dr. Jeff Conan. Today we're talking about knowing your where. What's really interesting about this uh, topic today is a few weeks ago or maybe months ago now, we, we don't really keep close track of this stuff, but we mentioned in one of our podcasts that how important it is to know your where uh, as opposed to knowing your why. We're not disagreeing that knowing your why is important, but we also want to draw uh, attention to the fact that knowing your where is every bit as important. So we dropped that in one of our podcasts and we got a little feedback on that. So we wanted to kind of unpack that a little bit more. So I'm going to jump right over to Dr. Conan and, and ask Jeff. So when you say know your where, what is it? what is it that you mean by that? Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I certainly don't get credit for coming up with this, but I also don't know that there's a book about it, just like know your why. So I'm not sure where it started in my mind. Uh, but as you know, in our program, our, our DAT is very goal oriented. And when we work with students, the minute they walk in there, we ask them what their goals are. And it's ironic because we work with professionals, but oftentimes they really can't articulate their goals. They can't articulate them verbally or in writing, which is what we have them do. And the purpose of this is to say, well, if you don't have any goals, why are you in the program? And where do you want this degree to take you? And that's the where. So where, where could be professionally, right? In this case, where do you want to be? This is not a new concept. People would say, well, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? But we try to make it a reality. And I think... The where is not a dream. It's not an idea. It's a reality. And to make it a reality, when you first know your where, what it really does for you is it then defines the course and the pathway to get there, right? So let me give you a quick example. How many people come into the profession and say, I want to work in a university setting or I want to work in a professional football setting or whatever it is. They have this idea. But then how many of them intentionally make every effort with everything they do to best align themselves on the track that meets that goal? Because I hear people sometimes advise new grads, well, don't take a job where you're going to be by yourself. You won't learn from other people. Well, if that job you take with other people based on that advice is a very different setting or derails you from the course of where you want to be, that's not really great advice. It's good advice in general to always work with colleagues and learn from, but it takes you off course. So how I see your where is the destination. And it could be a year from now. It could be five years from now. But then everything you do intentionally, and also, by the way, spontaneously, when opportunity arises, you are always thinking about, if I partake in this, or if I do something this way, does it get me to the destination, the where? Right. So you're not saying or even suggesting that the the, the why aspect of it is not important. It's, 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 this goes part and parcel with the why. So know your why, you mentioned goal setting, you know, it's people, well, why do you want to do it? Why, why, why and you go, you know, there's a the whole thing about seven whys before you really get to the true reason and all that. So that still needs to happen. But in addition to that, there's the where component. And I'm wondering, listening to you, listening to you describe that, 
is maybe it's the where that we start with. You know, it's this whole idea of of the where <laughs> kind of leads us to the why, right? I mean, it's yeah. I was just thinking the exact opposite. I'm okay. thinking, I'm thinking you have your whys. This is why I want to do this. Now, how do I get to this point? But maybe they're both right. Maybe it's yeah. done differently for different people. You know, chicken or the egg, maybe it doesn't matter because I was thinking, okay, so where? I want to be, like, just use your example, where? Someday I want to be a head athletic trainer at a D1 institution, which we hear all the time, right? So so that's my where. And now you start with, okay, so that's where I want to be. Now go back and fill in the whys of, okay, why do I want to be there? Yeah. Well, yes. because the prestige or because yeah. your perception is there more money there, your perception, is whatever. I know people who, who actually, when you dig at it enough, it's because they want the gear and they're just, they're just groupies for whatever team, you know, they just want Hands the Hands down. But you, you raise a good point. So an example where the why comes first, the why is I want to do this. I want to be in professional football. Okay. Then you ask those questions. Why? Why do you want to do this? What's driving you? And then when you convince yourself, maybe this happens while you're in school. This is why I want to do that. Then you lay the pathway down. Now you could start with the pathway and say, here's where I want to be. And you can ask somebody, well, why do you want to be there? There's, I think you're right. It's chicken or egg. It goes both ways. But maybe they both interact simultaneously. And, and along the pathway, as you get to your where, you re-ask the question of why. Are you still doing it because of the same whys? Well, I think that's a great point. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of visual diagrams and things. So I'm envisioning a Venn diagram, you know, with the convergence. I love the word convergence. And, <laughs> and so, you know, where you converge the where, the when, the whys, the how, all those things. But when we're talking about where, you know, know your where, maybe it is a simultaneous thing where you converge where and why. And we're always asking you know, through the entire journey, where, why questions. And then out of the convergence and the overlap between those two critical pieces is, is the plan emerges, right? And and that's yeah. the whole idea of the, the emergent profession uh, and the emergent career, because I know, and I know this is true for you as well, and just about every other athletic trainer I've ever spoken to, and anybody in any career for that matter, uh, it's especially when you get any kind of longevity behind what you're doing. I, I know both of us have been doing this for well over, you know, I, for me, I'm approaching 30 years. I know you're over 30 years. And, uh, I don't, you don't have to go that far. Okay. You know, kind of thing. But that's <laughs> true for anybody in any profession. After you get to that point for so long, you start saying things like, you know, I'm not doing anything I ever thought I'd be doing, but I'm doing everything I always imagined. You know, and that's something that I've said before to groups of students where they've been like, whoa, say that again. You know, I'm not doing anything I ever thought I'd be doing, but I'm doing everything I ever thought I imagined. And I think that's an important piece. And you talk about the trajectory to your career goals and how they're not a linear trajectory. It's a, a spaghetti noodle kind of a thing. And you're all over the place and and all these milestones that occur to form who we are help us answer the questions of why, because why I think changes, you know, why to me is an issue of values, core values. Uh, and, and anybody who's lived life at, for any decent amount of time know that values actually change. We don't like to say that my core values are my core values they are the foundation on which I stand. Uh, BS, I call BS on that. That's not true. 
um, your values change when your context changes. Uh, the classic example is, you know, the, the foundation, the rocks of like family. M most people will say, well, family is one of my core foundational values. Yes, that's true. And it might always be there, but the priority and significance of that changes. When I was 16 years old, I would have told you family was important to me too. Well, now I'm about to be a grandfather 30 X years later. And guess what? I say family is still important to me, but it means something completely right. different right. now than it did before. And the value of that is completely different than it was before. Hey, I can give you multiple examples of former students that I've advised who's you know, who's where was a professional sports team and all the reasons why they convinced themselves. And then they got there and within two years, the why's changed and the where changed. You don't know until you get to the destination, right? When you get to the destination, is this truly where I wanted to be and were the reasons that I thought were the why's accurate? And, yeah. you know, there's a reason why a lot of people will take a vacation somewhere. They'll go to the same place every year with their family on vacation. And then they go there and they live there. And it's a different story. It was fun to be there for a week, but this isn't where I'd want to be all year long. Or, you know, you heard about this destination. So we're going to finally go there. But you know what? These other people liked it because of their why was different than my why. So this is not the setting for me. And so you're right. It's, it's an evolution. Things change. And it's really hard to have a where and truly stay on that pathway the whole time and have a great experience and not deviate from it. Right. Because, because where's change. And, and if actually you stay the same and it changes around you, then your whys will change and that's out of your control. And that's why we need to be asking all the time. You know, I'm a oh. big fan of this, what I call um, the R4 process, which is recognize reorder, respond, and reflect. And I actually put some posts out there recently on that. But that's exactly what you're talking about is, is as we're going through this journey of, of career advancement, professional socialization, transition to practice, all these phrases that we use, you know, what's really important to understand is throughout the entire journey, things are shifting on you all the time. Your values are shifting. Your priorities are shifting. Your opportunities are shifting and realigning. And if if we if we're not willing to re-look at those on a very consistent and regular basis, you're going to end up being that person who's in a position who you thought you would have loved and then end up hating it. And you've got to go back and reinvent yourself later. So I've always been an advocate to reinvent yourself as you go instead of reinventing yourself after the fact. Yeah, I can't tell you the number of times I've been, I'll use the word accused, of reinventing myself. You know, <laughs> whoever in a million years and said, you're out there consulting about cannabis? Are you right. kidding? And, and, you know, you are an athletic director in the middle of this Hall of Fame career? Like, how did this come to play? So it, it is about um, opportunities as and well. Don't forget and, your stand-up comedian days. I, that was early in my career, and I still, <laughs> I still think I'm pretty funny. I just don't get paid, although I didn't really get paid all that well back then either. So, um, but I probably have more fans nowadays than I ever had in those dark smoky <laughs> back then. I will, I will admit to that. Um, uh, yeah, I was actually on a sidebar. I was actually just recently at a conference, and there were a few athletic trainers who uh, asked me for 
giving them some of my stand-up show routines and they thought it was pretty funny. So um, maybe there's still a little bit of that in me, but um, yeah, the, the point is though, um, you have aware. And I think also what's important to recognize is we talk all this time about this. You and I talk about the life work integration. We yeah. put the life first and we don't use the balance term on purpose. Um, but I think that where includes that integration, right? because when you say, I want to be here, and I want to work with this professional sport team, you have to understand that that integration in terms of how your time is devoted is very, very different. And that sometimes is what drives some people out of their wear. And it's some things that drive people in that wear forever. They love that environment, that culture. But that will impact, as you talked about, your family and your personal life. And there's nothing wrong with it one way or the other if you're in a good space and everyone else is a good space around you. Uh, but it does change. And, and sometimes you have to get to the where. I don't know if you ever get to the destination, honestly, because yeah. it's a moving target constantly. You know, one of the things that just popped into my mind as you were talking is this idea of, of passion. And, and, you know, we hear all the time how, you know, what would you tell your younger self? You know, go back your older self and right. go back and tell your right. younger self. And, and you know, I if, if you were to ask my 24-year-old self what I was going to do in the profession, it's nothing at all. What I and I was passionate about it, you know, and it was but it didn't it didn't happen that way. And I look back now, I don't regret any of it. I mean, there's some things that maybe I would have done differently, et cetera. And, and I think it's kind of another thing. I think it's silly to say we have no regrets. We learn from regrets. I think regrets are important. But um, but if you would have asked my tw my 24 year old self what I was going to be and do, it was nothing to what I'm doing now. Oh. First of all, academic. I, I was what every young athletic trainer says when they get into this. I don't want to do research. I don't want a PhD. I don't you know all this kind of thing. I'm not a researcher. I still say that all the time. I'm not a researcher. You know, 50 uh, 50 pubs later and two journal editors later, five books later, whatever. Yeah, I don't like to write. And I'm not a researcher. Oh. Who knew? You know, and I, I know similar with you as well. And you know, I know you've written way more than that. And um, and those are important things. But I also think what's critical is, and what I think is more important for what we're talking about today is we need to flip that and not, not think about what would you go back and tell your younger self, but what would you tell your older self? Project yourself oh 10 or 15 God. years into hey. the future. What would you tell yourself, knowing what you know now, what would you tell your future self? Yeah, I think that'd be a great presentation proposal for a future tour at, at our meetings because- that's fantastic information. And I would agree with everything you just said. I mean, if you talk to a single person who taught me at any age level in my life that I would write anything, forget about whether it's reviewed by others or it's published, I couldn't write anything. I barely graduated. This is no joke. The people that know me know the stories about, forget about the David Letterman uh, C grade point average scholarship that he offers. I had a whole different level of a scholarship that I could have offered. And um, the reality is, yeah, you sometimes are talented enough to, to articulate like you, you're an orator and you speak very well. And others, uh, sometimes they're naturally born writers and some people combine those two. And look, I've got great editors, right? I've got a lot of ideas. I put them on paper and they clean them up and make them look better. Thank God, because when I put them on paper, I'm just used to just bring the paintbrush and red back. 
to what I put on paper, it will look the same. And, and, you know, at first, yeah, you know, it's offensive, right? We've already had this conversation before, but then you get used to it and you realize, all right, I just, I'm an idea guy, I put on paper and these are the, these are the experts at what they do. But I think it's also, you, you raise a good point because I think there's a middle part of that too. It's not just what would you tell your younger self or your older self, but, you know, when you're at that where, so when we're in academia, part of our job is to chase publications. It's a game, you add this up. How many peer-reviewed manuscripts do you have? How many grants do you have? What's the amount of those dollars? How many books did you write? And when you're in that game and you're in the horse race for that, you're competing. And then that's middle part of your early to middle part of your career, right? And you come out of that academic setting and you're like, ah, I've been tenured. I'm not writing a damn thing anymore. Like I got writer's block and, you know, the sun's out and and uh, I'd rather just go and share my knowledge. I don't want to spend all this time writing it. I don't want to write a grant with a small percentage of a chance with my bad writing that I'll even get funded. And so you're, you're, you know, the drive changes where you are. And so what advice would you give yourself mid-career when you get to that mid-career crisis? That's why people argue about this thing called post-tenure review. Well, now that you've been tenured, you don't need to be evaluated anymore. Well, the same thing happens in the clinical setting. People get dry, people get burned out. People need to be rejuvenated. And so what advice would you give to yourself to do that? And, you know, what happens a lot of times, think about some of the the recent uh, interventions, right, in the last, say, 10 years. Um, And I'm probably stretching it, but we can look at everything from dry needling, obstructed blood flow therapies, cuppings, whatever it might be, right? When they first come out, there are early adapters. I love that term. I think that's uh, Kevin Morley's favorite term, early adapters. And so you're out in front of everyone. You're also taking a risk that this isn't going to catch on. And then you're going to, you know, be embarrassed about doing this, but promoting yourself. And then it catches on and more and more people are doing it. And now it's called the tipping point, right? Malcolm Gladwell's story is, well, enough people are doing this. I better do it or else I'm the outcast. Well, if you don't do the tipping point at that stage in your career, something's running by you slowly. One skill set after another. And now by you being defiant and not doing any of those, all of a sudden you're a mid-career athletic trainer with no skill set anymore, except what you had when you first came out of school. Right. There are some great studies uh, that have been put out about cardiac physicians. And they asked them, what's the go-to intervention that you use with your patients? And what they have found is the answers to these studies are based on the age of the physician, right? The physicians will typically resort back to what they were taught in school and not necessarily what's contemporary. And then they ask them what medication they use. And the answer is, well, it's typically whatever that person's coming through their clinic and showing them as a pharmaceutical rep that this is the latest and greatest. And then that's what they'll use. Right. It's not the best way to move forward. It's not the best way to ask yourself, what advice would I give myself younger, older, or mid-career? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I would, I would, I would make the case that a lot of athletic trainers do the same thing. You know, what how their main go-to interventions for certain treatments and things are what they learned from their preceptors when they were students, and this is what they did, and they haven't really grown beyond that, which is why there's this whole movement with evidence-based practice, quality improvements, all the different right. things that we're trying to do to, to get people to shake out of that, because it's not just a cardiologist thing, it's a human thing. It's a human thing, yeah. yeah. And, um, and you know, I, I think I think what you mentioned, I, I think is critical is, is 
what would you tell your older self? So as you know, I'm I'm sitting here thinking to myself, well, what would I tell myself, you know, 10 or 15 years down the road? And and the thing that comes to mind that, that I absolutely know is true is this, is what I'm passionate about now isn't what I'm going to be passionate about then. And I think that's what we tend to misunderstand. We tend to think that, well, whatever it is that gets me going right now, whatever it is I'm all about and excited about now, it's going to always be there. And I know that's a from a leadership perspective, one of the biggest mistakes executives make when forecasting is assuming that all the conditions that are in play now will be in play then whenever then is in the future. Yeah, yeah. And knowing your where is so important to addressing that issue. So that's a fundamental issue that could help us get through a lot of problems really quickly is understanding that what I love right now is not what I'm going to love in five years or 10 years or maybe even six years. But, but here's the thing. This is brilliant. But you really couldn't give yourself that advice 30 years ago because 30 years ago, Everyone stayed at the same job and retired and got a pension and a gold watch. And now the average length that people stay at a job is under two years before they transition. So you wouldn't have known to give yourself that right. advice back then. The world has changed around. Yeah, well that, that change is called VUCA. And you know how much of a fan I am of this word and how much you I are. It's it. your middle name. Is it yeah, not? It's, it's all that stuff. And for those who don't know what VUCA is, I'm going to say it. I found There's it. There's a V on your shirt. I see it. MVK Leadership. VUCA. VUCA. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And that's really, really what, what that has changed the world. And like you said, things are so dynamic. Things shift so frequently and so often. And with the generations coming into the workforce now, which is something else I know we love to talk about and, and how, how uncertain and unsettled they are just in what, how they develop their career path is not even the same as what we do. You know, I, I think I talked about this at our last residency and the difference between even the words loyalty between our generation and the younger generation. You know, we define loyalty in terms of in, um, you know, time served, longevity. Uh, the younger generations, the 30-somethings the and younger, they define loyalty in terms of intensity of effort. You know, and so they can be loyal to six different jobs in one year because they're working their butt off, you know, hard. And those are the things that are so important for us to understand. And when we talk about knowing your where, you know, there's a temporal aspect to that as well. I know we're getting we're running out of time here, but the temporal aspect, I think, is really important as well, because it was Stephen Covey who said, you know, in, in his famous book, you know, years, years ago, the, the seven habits books, is what I'm referring to, you know, begin with the end in mind. And I think that's critical for us to understand because he's saying, know your where, you know, maybe, you know, exactly. you know, exactly. begin with the end in mind. So have this idea where you want to get to, but, but, and then work towards it. But as you work towards it, be willing to flex, be willing to flow because understand your passions are going to change. Your values are going to change. Right. And, it gets you started and your why unfolds as you pursue your where. That's why I said earlier, I think where kind of comes first. And that's kind of, I guess, my final words on that. But what do you have to close us out? Oh, I think that's a great point. And, and Covey does really say what we're trying to say in, in different terms. But look, if again, if you're trying to take that vacation, you get somewhere, you know what your destination is. But you might find that the route that's most direct by air costs too much. So what do you do? 
You look at alternative flights or alternative ways to get to the where. And, and that's really what we have to do constantly, as we said earlier, reassess that point. And the day you become complacent in the current location that you are is when you find yourself in trouble down the road. Down the road could be days to weeks to years, but the world changes at such a faster pace now than it ever did before. You constantly want to ask yourself at different phases of your life, is this where I want to be? And if not, how do I put myself in a position to be there next? Well, there you have it. Coots and Conan are out.